This is a download from Ormskirk Christadelphians of one of our Sunday afternoon talks. A video of the talk is also available along with more downloads at our website ormskirkchristadelphians.org.uk or join us in person at our meeting room on Moorgate in Ormskirk every Sunday at 1.45pm. We hope you enjoy the talk. Good afternoon everyone. The, good afternoon. the phrase which the title of our talk uh, this afternoon is, is a, quite a well-known one I would suggest. The statue that you see there is located outside the United Nations headquarters in New York. And in the same place on the wall are written the same words. They shall beat their swords into plowshares. The words, as we've already read, come from the prophecy of Isaiah, chapter 2, speaking of events in the latter days. And that verse 4, the last verse that we've just read, they shall beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. But the question is, who are they that it refers to? Who will beat their swords into plowshares? Well, certainly not these men uh, with their weapons of war, or these. The nations of the world spend billions of pounds a year purchasing weapons of war. It's actually something like 1.3 trillion. That's what that figure represents in pounds. That's an enormous amount of money that the nations of the world spend on armaments. Once again, the United States retained its long-held place as the world's largest spender on defence, an outlay of something like 500 billion pounds a year, now likely to be even more according to Donald Trump's pledges. That's more than three times uh, second place, which is China. They spent around £160 billion a year last year on weapons of war. And I found this surprising, but uh, the internet is never wrong, is it? Um, that the UK was in third place. Uh, we spent something like £54 billion last year on weapons of war. And these war machines are becoming more and more sophisticated and, of course, more and more lethal. This map shows that there are conflicts across the world. I'll explain what the different colours are in a minute. It appears from the map uh, that um, the Americas are reasonably free from war, and yet there are still internal conflicts, there are murders, there's racial hatred, revenge and gangland killings. If we included those... You'd, you'd see all the, the Americas covered in, in coloured, uh, shaded in colour. What does the key mean? Well, brown, if you can see that, is a major war, uh, and it's classed as resulting in more than 10,000 deaths last year. That would be somewhere like um, Afghanistan, Iraq, Syria, of course, and the Somali Civil War. The red uh, colour on the map... Uh, their wars are of less significance, but still causing a high death toll, somewhere between 1,000 and 10,000 deaths in the year. That would be somewhere like Libya, Yemen, or the Sudan, and the Mexican drug wars apparently come up there. The majority of conflicts around the world result in less than 1,000 deaths a year. That's still significant, of course. For example, uh, that, that's the sort of orange colour that you see there. That would be, uh, for example, in countries like Ukraine 
Ethiopia and Kashmir. And then we have in yellow some relatively minor skirmishes. Uh, these would be across, it's not shown there, but across many African states you'll see these internal conflicts which are not necessarily classed as outright civil war. Civil war in Syria. Since 2011, it's estimated that there have been something like 350,000 fatalities in Syria. In Iraq, of course, that's, uh, the, the war has been going on for a long time. Over the last 17 years, apparently, since 2003, there have been close to a million fatalities in Iraq, firstly to overthrow Saddam Hussein and in recent years the battle against ISIL. About 1.5 million, 1.5 billion people, soldiers and civilians have lost their lives since the war against the Taliban began in Afghanistan back in 1978. More recently, we've seen conflict in Eastern Europe between Russia and the U Ukraine, and that's claimed something like 10,000 lives already. And it's not just war, of course, that's hit the headlines in recent years, uh, but the fallout from it, resulting in many homeless refugees fleeing to Europe. Um, and obviously that's not a good thing uh, for either the refugees or for the European community. Uh, I'm sure most would like to stay in their own country if they can. But because of terror, war, religious persecution, uh, they've sought refuge elsewhere. And of course the old Israeli-Palestinian conflict uh, goes on. Um, this has been going on for decades. And in fact it's 100 years since the anniversary this year, uh, since 1917, when the Balfour Declaration was made. It's when the then UK Foreign Secretary... Uh, Balfour declared then that, and I quote, His Majesty's Government view with favour the establishment in Palestine of a national home for the Jewish people. This year also sees another anniversary. It's the 50th anniversary of the Six-Day War uh, between Israel and its Arab neighbours back in 1967, when it was hoped that the outcome of that would result in some peace uh, with their Arab neighbours, but it's not been the case. It's been going on for 50 years. In addition, we see ongoing conflict in Yemen, Kurdish conflict, civil war in Libya and South Sudan, nuclear threat from North Korea, sectarian conflict in Lebanon, in addition, of course, to terrorist groups such as Boko Haram, Al-Shabaab and Al-Qaeda. The world then is becoming a more dangerous place, and apparently there are just ten countries which can be considered completely free from conflict. That's according to the authors of the 10th Annual Global Peace Index, would you believe? Um, the worsening conflict in the Middle East, the lack of a solution to the refugee crisis, and an increase in deaths from major terrorist incidents have all contributed to the world being less peaceful in 2016 to when it was in 2015. There are now fewer countries in the world which can be considered truly at peace. In other words, not engaged in any conflicts, either internally or externally. And I'm going to quote you now from the Institute for Economics and Peace, a think tank which has produced the Peace Index for the past 10 years. And they say that only the following countries are free from conflict. Botswana, Chile, Costa Rica, Japan, Mauritius, Panama, Qatar, Switzerland, 
Uruguay and, surprisingly, Vietnam. Just ten countries, they say. So if you want some peace, we need to go to those countries, perhaps. But perhaps the most remarkable result from this year's peace index was the extent to which the situation in the Middle East drags down the rest of the world when it comes to peacefulness. The conflicts in Afghanistan and Iraq uh, have been, of course, been going on for well over a decade. We, we've already mentioned that. It spilled into Syria in 2011, and now we see this civil war in, in Libya and Yemen. Apparently, battlefield deaths are up at a, a high this year. Sorry, last year, I mean. 112,000 lost their lives in war and conflict over the last 12 months, a 20-year high. Syria, Iraq and Afghanistan count, account for 75% of those deaths. So, uh, prepare for peace, perhaps we should prepare for war. Despite the apparent advancement of civilization, such as major breakthroughs in medical science, incredible achievements that we see in spatial exploration, we do not seem to have used our increased knowledge in the furtherance of living peaceably with one another. You can read there from the prophecy of Joel, chapter 3. It says there, Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. The opposite of what our title suggests. And I would suggest that this is accurately depicting our age now, our modern age. And Isaiah is for future. But Joel is talking about now how uh, armaments and weapons of war are constantly being manufactured and purchased. So, peace on earth then, question, well there's no sign of it, no individual leader, no matter how powerful, is able to bring peace to the world. Not Theresa May, not Donald Trump, who has just been of course inaugurated as the 45th president of the world's most powerful nation. Not this man, Vladimir Putin. Not this man either. Anybody venture a guess as to who that is? Frank Sorry? Frank Holland. Frank, yeah. Um, <laughs> I think he calls himself Francois, but anyway, that's near enough, Chris. Francois Hollande is the president of France. Go on then, anybody guess that man? You can see where he comes from, I think, probably. Name, anybody telling me his name? Ah, very difficult. I wouldn't have known that without looking it up. His name is Xi Jinping. He's the president of China. Even United Nations cannot bring true and lasting peace. Now, the United Nations General Assembly, uh, which has existed since 1945, consists of 193 member states. And there is a reason why I showed those five world leaders. They represent uh, the five permanent member countries which make up what's called the United Nations Security Council. The countries, of course, are our own, USA, Russia, France and China. And ironically, these same five countries were the original possessors of nuclear weapons back in the 1960s. They tried to prevent any other country from joining the nuclear club, but unfortunately many other states have now acquired these weapons of mass destruction. The Security Council consists not only of the five permanent members, but also of ten non-permanent members, which are elected every two years. And all the 193 member states of the UN... Um, General Assembly are supposed to abide by the resolutions passed, passed by this Security Council. Uh, the Security Council deals with any act of aggression, either by negotiation or sanctions, and occasionally by use of force. 
And though it is well-meaning, uh, yet it still doesn't bring a lasting peace to the world. Go on, anybody know this man then? I bet you don't know, and I, I wouldn't have known either. This man, well, as you can see, uh, he represents the United Kingdom, the United Nations. His name is Matthew Rycroft. Uh, he's the UK's representative, permanent representative to the United Nations, and he said in a speech to the General Assembly just on the 17th of January this year, just a, a week or so ago, and I quote, he said, We are beginning a difficult year for the Middle East. Peace for many in the region is but a distant memory. So, peace on earth? Well, uh, if left to man, I suggest there will never be peace. But the Bible tells us there will be peace. When men will convert their weapons of war into agricultural instruments. I know it seems unlikely at the moment, but Bible prophecy says peace on earth is a certainty. The Bible tells us that the key to peace is righteousness. And we're going to Isaiah's prophecy once again. This time it's chapter 32. And I'm going to put the words up on the screen for you. Isaiah chapter 32 and the first verse tells us this. Behold, a king will reign in righteousness and princes will rule with justice. Then it goes on in verse 17 of this same chapter. The work of righteousness will be peace and the effect of righteousness, quietness and assurance forever. The two go together, righteousness and peace, but in that order. It's righteousness first as a prelude to the peace on, to peace on the earth. The reason that none of the world's leaders who you've just seen can bring lasting peace to this beleaguered world is that though they may be honest and well-intentioned, although maybe that's a, a dubious uh, description of any politician perhaps, uh, none can be described as truly righteous, nor indeed has any the power or the authority to end war and conflict. But who is this king who is described here who will come? Well again we can turn to Isaiah's prophecy and it's chapter 9 which speaks to us about a prince of peace. For unto us a child is born unto us a son is given for the government will be upon his shoulder of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end and upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward even forever he will sit this man this righteous man this prince of peace he will sit on king david's throne and bring justice to this world which is blighted by inequality we go on in Isaiah's prophecy in chapter 11 this time uh, this chapter the whole chapter highlights this righteous man as a descendant of king david and it says in verse 2 of chapter 11 the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. The Lord God will be with him and give him power and authority over the whole earth. With righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He will be a righteous judge. It's a psalm of David which also describes the characteristics of this righteous man. 
It says he will judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. This is Psalm 72 and verse 2. In his days, verse 7, the righteous shall flourish and abundance of peace until the moon is no more. So who is this righteous man? The angel Gabriel makes this announcement to Mary. We can read that in Luke's Gospel in chapter 1 and verse 31. Where Gabriel says to Mary, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son. And shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. That's the righteous man who will bring peace to the earth. And although Jesus has not yet come back to the earth to establish this everlasting kingdom. He will return. The Bible tells us very clearly that Jesus Christ will return to this earth. Well how are we sure? Why are we sure that Jesus will return to the earth? Because he promised it, the angels declared it, and the apostles taught it. He says, and it's recorded in John's Gospel, in chapter 14, and verse 2, Jesus said to his disciples, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. So before he was crucified, he told them that he would be going away, but that he would return. He also says, and this is recorded in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16, verse 27, Jesus says this, For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. So Jesus will return, not this time as a sacrificial lamb, but as a king to judge the world. The angels declared it very clearly. As the disciples, we're looking at Acts chapter 1 now, verse 11. As the Lord's disciples watched from the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem, as Jesus was taken up from them in a cloud, Two angels assured them of his return. Men of Galilee, they said, Why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. The apostles taught about the return of the Lord. The apostle Peter was speaking to the people. He was urging them to repent before the Lord's return. And he said this, this is recorded for us in Acts chapter 3 and verse 20. Peter said to the people, Repent therefore and be converted, that he, that's God, may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before, whom the heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things. And the Apostle Paul, writing to the church at Thessalonica, spoke of the Lord's return. He said this, and it's in Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians in chapter 4. He said, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, 
with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first <coughs> Excuse me. and so we look forward to God's kingdom Paul in a, a, another letter to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 he wrote about the purpose of uh, the Lord's coming to the earth his purpose is to raise the dead and establish his father's kingdom on the earth he wrote there for as in Adam all die even so in Christ shall all be made alive but every man in his own order Christ the first fruits afterward those who are Christ's at his coming after he has judged the world Paul writes to the uh, a letter to Timothy this is 2nd Timothy in chapter 4 <coughs> He writes this letter to him saying, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. And so when God's kingdom is established there will be no more wars, no more conflicts because all will obey him. Again in Psalm 72 it says yes, all kings shall fall down before him. All nations shall serve him. And then true peace, so elusive by man, will envelop the whole world through Christ Jesus. Jesus will do for man what man cannot do for himself, that is to bring peace to the world. We've already seen that this world is full of war, full of conflict. There's no one person, no organisation can bring peace only a righteous man and that righteous man is the Lord Jesus who will return and so we see that peace will come at last that peace so elusive to man will uh, cover the whole world uh, and peace will fill it through the Lord Jesus Christ at his appearing and his kingdom and our last slide tells us about peace on earth a certainty so the words we began from the prophecy of Isaiah will be a reality. They shall beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed that talk. For more downloads, videos, information about what we believe and details of our meeting times, go to our website ormskirtchristadelphians.org.uk